Blog Talk Radio. You know, I love to study Jesus because I love Jesus. And I find out more and more about Jesus every day. And I love Jesus more and more every day, the more time I spend with him. And so the disciples saw Jesus heal the sick, open blind eyes, cause the lame to walk and the dumb to talk. He, they saw Jesus casting out demons and unclean spirits. They saw Jesus turn the water to wine. They saw Jesus on one occasion go to the graveyard and raise a man from the dead. And so no doubt they decided there's a secret to this man. <laughs> and perhaps one said, aha, maybe it is his prayer life. You know, once you get your prayer life in order, the rest of your life will never be the same. If you want to improve your life, improve your prayer life. Say that to the people sitting on both sides of you. You know, one of the themes for this series is prayer changes things because it changes me. And so the disciples perhaps figured out it must be his prayer life. While we are sleeping, he is praying. While we are watching as the world turns, sitting on the edge of night in the midst of a secret storm, he's praying. He said, well, why don't we ask him to teach us to pray? And they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Say that, Lord. Teach us to pray. And then the sixth chapter of St. Matthew, the ninth through the thirteenth verses, Jesus is complying with this request. And I read it for you. The words of Jesus. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The first thing that I notice in the Lord's Prayer is that in it Jesus teaches us self-conscious oneness with God, all mankind, all manifestation. Notice the first 
two words of the prayer, our Father, and our Father which art in heaven. Let's start with the two words, and let me hear everyone say, Our Father. Say it again. Our Father. Father. The first thing that a man, a mind, must do is to establish in his self-consciousness the unshakable truth of his relationship of oneness with God, all men, and all manifestation. To be theological for just a moment, orthodox theologians would probably call this pantheism, meaning God in all things. And uh, there are strong arguments for and against that. But I'm going to take the prayer and its teaching for just as Jesus gave it. Our. Take the first word for a moment. Notice this prayer. The first thing that this prayer does is to embrace everybody in the very first word. Isn't this interesting? Very first word. And of course, this was always the case in the entire mission of Jesus. He always embraced everybody. He healed folks that he had no business healing. <laughs> he saved folks that he had no business saving. That the world mind would say, why would he save her? One woman had seven devils. <laughs> but Jesus saved her anyway. He invited himself on one occasion to the home of a man that had the worst reputation in town. Zacchaeus. Little short runt of a fellow. <laughs> Tax collector that had cheated everybody in town. But Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down from that sycamore tree. Today I'm going to dine at your house. Jesus was always including people that the world and especially the Pharisees and the most religious people thought that he should have nothing to do with. Now notice, as I say again, the first word in the prayer, what is it? Our. You know, this word has arms. Stretch out your arms when you say this, our. So you see, when you pray this prayer, you have to embrace everybody, just as Jesus did. As a matter of fact, the first apostle that Jesus called in the church was a cussing fisherman. A man with a nasty mouth. Here he is with these, with this ragtag bunch of people with reputations as bad as his. See, you know, we, we, we love Jesus here. We praise Jesus and so on and so forth. But I've got something to tell you. Jesus did not have a good reputation. He was a bootleg preacher. Yes. He not only got his credentials pulled, he was bodily thrown out of the church. Zoom. And one of the big problems was that he included everybody. Lord, teach us to pray. Well, all right, the first word that has to come out of your mouth and your understanding is what? Our. Our Father. And stay away from these folks who are the only ones that's got God's blessings or got God's truth. 
Listen, I don't care what you say. He is our Father. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, there's the hour again, believeth on Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you pray, the first thing that you're doing is opening your arms to love yourself and to love everybody else, to embrace everybody else, and to recognize God as Father. You are establishing your self-conscious oneness with God. The first thing that a man of mind must do is to establish in his self-consciousness the unshakable truth of his relationship of oneness with God. All men, all manifestations. A man's relationship with God is divine oneship. I never heard that term before Reverend Ike said it. Divine oneship. Say that. And you see, this is what we learn from Jesus. We hear him saying all the time, I and my father are three or four. I and my father are one. Jesus says, I and my father are one. Uh, Another translation says, I and my father are the same one. Divine sonship is every man's relationship with God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the truth of every man. Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, is spoken to every man by the Father. In your communication with the indwelling God, first know who and what you are in God, and who and what God is in you. Then come boldly to the throne of grace. The Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in the time of need. But here again, I uh, don't advise you to come boldly to the throne of grace only in the time of need. If you will stay at the throne, your needs will disappear and your one complaint will become, my cup runneth over. You don't stay around the throne long without needs disappearing. One of the big mistakes that people make with prayer is that they use it only for a band-aid, an emergency measure. Oh, now it's good in an emergency, but you should not wait for an emergency to use it. You have to do as they say in the Pentecostal church, stay prayed up. You see, there, there again is our Father which art in heaven. Stay prayed what? Up. And I'll tell you this, when you stay prayed up, when an emergency does come along, you'll find you don't have to do anything different from what you've been doing all the time. Aha! Uh-huh. Now that's the kind of prayer life that you have to lead. Now I don't want you to miss this. I want you to get this. And stay out of all of these jams. You see, the Christian life is not a series of going from one jam to another. Thou will keep. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is who runs down to Reverend Ike only when they need some money. Thou will keep him in perfect peace who prays only when he has an emergency. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because thou hast made the Lord thy habitation because you habitually dwell in God there shall no evil befall you 
Neither shall any plague come nigh your dwelling. This stuff that a lot of these semi-religious people have to pray off of them won't even come near you. You won't even have to pray the devil off of you. If you go around praising God all the time and stay prayed up in the presence of our Father which art in heaven, that fellow won't come near you. He can't stand praise, whoever he is. He can't stand a hallelujah. John is lying there. And as Emmett Fox would say, he flees away into his native nothingness. You're not here in this world, and the Christian life, again, is not a, a matter of always battling the devil. If you're always battling the devil, you are definitely not prayed up. You're not praised up. What I say from time to time, the devil can't stand praise. Say that. The devil can't stand praise. And by the devil, I'm not talking about somebody with a red face and a pitchfork and a long tail. I'm talking about somebody with a long tongue. If you will learn how to live in praise and prayer, you won't have to contend with negativity as the devil in any form. If you are experiencing some kind of battle, weary, if I am weak, I am worn, take my hand, precious Lord. Oh, what a beautiful song, but it's off. What'd you take your hand out of God's hand for in the first place? <laughs> That's how you got weary and weak and worn and beaten. You had no business taking your hand out of God's hand. <laughs> if you'd have kept your hand in God's hand and walked in praise and in prayer, you wouldn't have gotten the beat out of you. One of the first objectives that I want to give you that you should accomplish in this series is get out of the business of using prayer only as an emergency matter. Make praise and prayer a lifestyle. Amendments known as the Bill of Rights. 
The Bill of Rights guarantees that the government can never deprive people in the U.S. of certain fundamental rights, including the right of right to free freedom of religion and to free speech and the due process of law. Many federal and state laws give us additional rights too. The Bill of Rights applies to young people as well as adults. And what I'm going to right here is tell you about religious freedoms. <clears throat> what is religious freedom exactly? The First Amendment to the, to the Constitution says that everyone in the United States has the right to practice his or her own religion or not or no religion at all. Our country's founders, who were of different religions, religious backgrounds themselves, knew the best way to protect religious liberties was to keep the government out of religion. So they created the First Amendment to guarantee the separation of church and state. This fundamental freedom is a major reason why the U.S. has managed to avoid a lot of religious conflicts that have torn so many other nations apart. <clears throat> the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment prohibits government from encouraging or promoting religious religion in any way. That's why we don't have an official religion in the United States. This means that the government may not give financial support to any religion. That's why many school vouchers programs, school voucher programs violate the establishment clause because they give taxpayers money to schools that promote religion. The free exercise clause of the First Amendment gives you the right to worship or not as your choice, as you choose. The government cannot penalize you because of your religious beliefs. How do you know the government is established, establishing religion? In 1971, the Supreme Court decided Lemon versus created three tests for determining whether a whether a particular government act or policy unconstitutionally promotes religion. The Lemon test says that in order to be constitutional, a policy must have a non-religious purpose, not end of promoting or favoring any set of religious beliefs and not overly involved the government with religion. <clears throat> Is it constitutional to teach religion in public schools? It says no. Public schools are ran by the government. Therefore, they must obey the First Amendment. This means that while they can teach about the influence of religion in history, literature, and philosophy, they cannot promote religious beliefs or practices as a part of their curriculum. Since private and or something schools are ran by the government, the First Amendment does aren't ran by the government. The First Amendment doesn't apply to them. Also, students can excuse can be excused from some school activities if they conflict with their religious beliefs. And this, I mean, just to, I mean, this, this not all of it, but I'm just, just to, um, I'm on it a little bit. I never knew all of this stuff about religion. It's crazy that, um, 
you know, all these things going on, and we never really know what's really going on in school. Because really, I think when we was in school, did we have prayer in school? I don't know, but I know they stopped it. It's been a long time ago. Hell, I graduated in school. I started school in the 70s. But um, it was a whole lot different. I know we used to do that, a pledge allegiance thing. I know they don't do that anymore. But back to the um, the, um, the read. It said, can teachers, can my teachers start the day or a meeting with prayer? And that's another one that says, no, prayers, scripture reading, and loud speakers violate the First Amendment because they promote religion. This is true even if the prayer is non-denominational. Moments of silence might be unconstitutional. It depends on whether or not the real reason they are being held is to encourage prayer. Can my school have prayers at graduation? No. In 1992, the Supreme Court decided in Lee versus Wiseman that graduation prayers are unconstitutional in public schools. Think about it. Graduation prayers would give non-believers or kids of other faiths the feeling that their participation in prayer is required. It is not. It, is, it doesn't matter who leads a prayer a minister, a priest, a rabbi, whoever or whatever, or whether the pre- the prayer is non-denominational. Some kids would feel left out. Student-led prayers are, student-led prayer is unconstitutional too. Just because a student or group of students lead the prayer, the graduation ceremony is still a school-sponsored event, right? You can choose to have a private alternative event that includes prayer, like a a barracal something. It just can't be sponsored by the school. Students, parents, or church groups can organize it, but it still must be held off the school grounds. What if we put it to vote? To put it to a vote. That doesn't change anything. The United States, each individual has certain fundamental freedoms, including freedom of religion. These cannot be taken away, even by a majority vote, majority rule. Think about your friends who have different faiths or non-religious beliefs at all. They still feel excluded from their own graduation um, exercises, or worse, they feel like the school thought their religion was better than theirs. Put the, put the shoe on the other foot for a second and think about how that would make you feel. The way I guess, you know what, this right here kind of make me think that think to like, I mean, it's kind of crazy that these laws here, but they how they um, forced the religion on us and didn't let us. I mean, I guess this now if you go back and learn your true religion or non-religion, you will know that they can't infringe on your religious freedom. That didn't say you get you got to be a Christian. It didn't say you got to be anything. It just say uh, the United States doesn't have any. We can practice anything we want as far as religion. And religion is. I'm a, after this. I'm gonna go to the Constitution and show you what it says about religion in the Constitution. 
North Carolina Constitution here, and I'm going to take you to something else, um, a U.S. code. Um, it says, is it, is it ever okay to pray at school? Sure, individual students have the right to pray whenever they want to, as long as they do not disturb classroom instructors or other educational activities or try to force others to pray along with them. If a school official has told you that you can't pray at all during the school day, your right to exercise your religious religion is being violated. Contact your local ACLU for help. Is it okay to celebrate religious holidays in public schools? It depends. Making Christmas stockings, Easter eggs, or Hanukkah decorations is probably okay because over the years, these have become spectacle customs that people of many different backgrounds enjoy. But a native pilgrimage, which is full of religious meaning, could be considered unconstitutional. What about religious clubs or Bible distribution? Student-organized Bible clubs are okay as long as three conditions are met. One, the activity must take place during non-school hours. School officials can't can't be involved in organizing or running the club. And three, the school must make its faculties available to all student groups on an equal basis. So your Bible club can't be the only group allowed access to the school grounds. Neither can your school let other students' groups use the building for meetings, for meetings and events and deny your Bible club the same opportunity. The, the organized distribution of Bibles or any other holy book during the school day is unconstitutional, even if teachers are the ones actually handing out the Bibles, and even if they do not use as a part of the school's educational program. That's because the school building or grounds are still being used to spread a religious document at a time when students are required to be there. That's what religious freedom is all about. You are free to worship as you choose, even if that means not at all. And the First Amendment says, Congress shall make no laws respectfully and establish respectfully respecting and establishment of religion or prohibit the free exercise thereof. Now I'm going to go to the Constitution. Uh, North Carolina Constitution, Section 13, Religious Liberties, you say all persons have a natural and inalienable right to worship Almighty God according to the dictates of their own consciousness. And no human authority shall, in any case, whatever, control or interfere with the rights of consciousness. So like I came saying, man, he's trying to get us on this uh, religious thing about about making everything about religion, and it's so true because I mean, just this 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 document kind of you know opened my eyes up a little bit more as far as that that they can't infringe on it. I mean, I've been knowing, but you know, just the, I read this thing from the UC the ACLU, and it kind of you know shed a little bit more light on it for me. And also. Um, Something else. Um, um, 18 U.S.C. 
242, deprivation of rights under the color of law. <clears throat> and it reads, whoever under color of any law, statute, ordinance, regulation, or custom willfully subjects any person in any state, territory, commonwealth, possession, or district to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured or protected by the Constitution or laws of the United States. Okay, that just took us right back to the Constitution right there with this same USC, um, 18 USC 242, and it's U.S. Code, so it's, it's basically telling you the same thing, that anything that goes against the Constitution, deprive you of any rights that the Constitution gives you, is... It's not correct. It's invalid. It's unconstitutional. And it says under color of law. Color of with law, we all know means. Um, I got to go back to the Constitution to show you what color of law is. And it also says different punishments. It's going to Okay, the Constitution. Uh, privilege or any secured by the Constitution or any laws of the state or to be to different punishments, pains, or penalties on account of a person's being an alien or by reason of color, race, than others prescribe, prescribe for the punishment of citizens. But oh, we know we're not citizens anyway, so we aren't even in that category about that. So it says, anybody who does it shall be fined under this law title in prison no more than one year or both. And if bodily injury results from the act committed in violation of this section or if such act included the use of the attempted use or threat or use of dangerous weapons, explosives or fire shall be fined under this title in prison no more than ten years or both. Hmm. So yeah, that's crazy. I didn't know all that myself. But also, we'll go back to the constitution. When they was talking about the color of law, section 16 of the North Carolina Constitution, 18x6 Constitution reads, ex post facto laws. And that's what they're talking about, this color of law thing. Representative, re, what is it? Retro, retro act, retrospective laws, punishing acts committed before the existence of such laws, and by them only declared criminal, oppressive, unjust, and incapable, incompatible with liberty. And therefore, no ex post facto law shall be enacted. No law taxing retrospectively sales, purchase, or other acts previously done shall be enacted. Now, also, while ago in the in the um, in the um, in that little reading, the rights, the um, your right to religious freedoms, it also says the law of the land. In section 19 of the same constitution, it says the law of the land, equal protection of the of the laws. No person should be taken in prison or deceased of his freedom, liberties or privileged, or outlawed, or exiled, or in any manner deprived of his life, liberty, or property but the, by the law of the land. No person shall be denied the equal protection of the law, nor shall any person be subject to discrimination by the state because of his race, color, religion, or national origin. 
Okay, we, we it's a religion. Another one about religion and our constitutional right to 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 our religious freedoms. So now, I mean, that should give everybody a little clearer picture about how much power we got when we started using our religion. I mean, saying everything is religious, and I even found a um. <coughs> I, I, was, I searched in my state, uh, North Carolina, for, and I found a, um, it says North Carolina immunization law. It says religious exemption, North Carolina general statute. Well, it's got general statutes up here. But I would, I would kind of take this and doctor it up, and I'll change all those statutes to the Constitution and maybe that other, the other thing that I read to you about. All I put a lot of different, a couple of different constitutional aspects in here and it'll make it a whole lot stronger. But it says section one three oh eight one five I five I five seven religious exemption. If the bona fide religious beliefs of an adult or a parent, guardian or person in locals local parents of a child or Contrary to the immunization requirements contained in Chapter 130A, Article 6, Part B, the adult or child shall be exempt from the requirements. And it says, this is how you example. Upon submission of a written statement of the bona fide religious beliefs and opinions to the immunization requirement, the person may attend the college, university, school, or facility without presenting a certified a certification of uh, immunization. So that means you don't got to show that you've been immunized or take these shots and everything else that they um that they um ask for you to do in on the school, like for your kids or whatnot, giving them those this poison they're giving them. And they say pursuit to the aforementioned North Carolina GS 138 557. I, the undersigned, declare the immunization requirements as set forth in the North Carolina 138 152, contrary to my bona fide religious beliefs and claim as permitted by the law, an exemption from the immunization requirements of your institution for the undersigned minor child under my legal care and guardianship. And it's just got a place where you put the person's name, um, date, phone number. No, you put your name, date, phone number. You put your name, you sign it, put your address. Then it's got minor child, and it's got their birth, date, date of birth and address. You just actually just, I guess you fill this out, and you can get it notarized, and bam, your child don't have to take these pills. I mean, take these shots for it now. They don't have to get Immunize, you know, that could be a um, way for them not to get immunized. And, I mean, with this vaccine, whatever coming out, I'm pretty sure at some point it's going get to the, get to the point where they're going to be trying to force it on just the regular people because so many people is going to not have it. And by the time they, I know right now it's not going to be, it's not enough. They say it's not enough for everybody to take it. They're just giving it to the the um, frontline workers or whatever, but um, I'm pretty sure it's going to get to a point where they're going to try to force it on us, you know what I'm saying? 
especially people who haven't been tested, they're gonna try to force the test on us too. So that can be that can be really um this same these same rules can apply to the being tested also. They can't force you to be tested. It's it's, it's, it's against your religion. If it's against your religion to be to take a, a immunization shot for your kids, then it's got to be a religion, against your religion for you to um take a coronavirus test where they're sticking a, a, a stick halfway up your nose and no telling what damage they're doing. Think about the old people. Man, that little thing looks like it hurts when they stick that thing up your nose and they stick it deep in your nose, like to your brain. So I just wanted to go over that and, um, you know, just make everybody aware of their rights as far as that, their religious rights. Really, like Akeem says all the time, everything is based on religion. If you just think about it, I mean, your everyday um, occurrences, everything is based on religion. I mean, everything that you do that they say you can't do or whatever is, is really your right. You got the right to, I mean, like I said, you got the right to not even be religious at all. So, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's basically what they're saying is people can't come promoting their religion on you. And I guess there's, like I said, it's in school. So the kids, the younger kids feel a certain way if they learn something at home and they don't let them practice it in school, but they see somebody else practicing the same thing, but in a different, you know, in a different genre. Because, you know, how many religions we have in the United States open. So I can could, I could understand how, you know, how they stopped it in school because kids are so easily influenced and feel, and they feel left out, you know, by certain things that they used to participate in. And if you're taught at home to be free in your religion, and then at school they're teaching, they're not even teaching your religion but a whole nother one, then I, I can see where, you know, it could cause a problem. It could cause some confusion for the kids even though they're confusing enough in school with the lies. So that would be just another, something pushing them in another direction. But it make you think, like, the people who, I mean, our forefathers, our forefathers, our ancestors, the ones who, the ones who really made the Constitution, they were really thinking. You know what I'm saying? They had to be thinking because all of this stuff, it's like, it's our protection. And it's been there forever. This, these constitutions are old, older than as I'm. I'm 52 years old. These constitutions are older than my parents, as maybe their parents. So these these rights, in an inalienable rights that we have for the constitutions, for us religion and everything else, they always been there. I mean, they just been sitting there waiting for us to take them, put our hand on them, read them, you know, get a clear understanding of them. But it's crazy that. <clears throat> Like, I, I grew up in the church, you know what I'm saying? And I just grew up in the church just listening, you know, how you just sit there and listening to the preacher. But it never, do you know how much power you would have coming up if you learned that, that you, that all this stuff you learned about church, about church, the Bible, and this, all of this stuff is your defense. You can use that. If you're so religious, why, why they're not teaching you that you can use this stuff against this unconstitutional acts that these people are doing against us? I mean, that would be a great thing to know. I mean, coming up and also learning that we have religious freedoms. Now, I always knew about religion, you know, in my own learning from, you know, coming up. But I never knew that I had religious freedoms. I had, I had my religion gave me, well, just believing in a certain religion gave me freedoms to 
through certain things that, you know, and everybody has the same religions. It doesn't just matter what religion I am or or what religion this other person is or what religion who is. I mean, I never knew that because of that, just being religious, that you have certain rights that you can, you know, move upon and, and you know, kind of break the chains a little bit. And it's interesting. Yeah, but like I said, though, I mean, I found it interesting. And I would, I would, I mean, I would think everybody would want to go back and read over that stuff. Or you just look it up in your uh, state, because I know different states have different laws as far as that immunity thing. But like I said, if it's a form or something you can fill out, you can take that form, download it, and doctor it up to your, to your, um, to your liking, or put your beliefs, put what you believe on there. Because everybody, you know, it's not the same religion. I mean, like, you can use the Bible, the Torah, the, um, you know, whatever. Whatever religious, religious books that you study. I mean, I'm pretty sure you could dig in there and find something. And also, in your state constitution, you should also be able to find something about your religious reasons in that. And you could, that's also could be used as far as your, um, as an exhibit or, you know, as proof as to, you know, your rights protected by the constitution. And we all know that, you know, when you stand on that constitution and your religious freedoms, they can't, you know, they can't infringe that. They can't infringe your rights. So I would think everybody, would, like I said, everybody would like to look into that and, you know, just, you know, do a little bit digging. Because I said, like I said, even, I mean, especially people with kids that's on this information and they, you know, got kids going in, going back to school or, you know, but, you know, I encourage everybody to, you know, do the homeschool thing if you got time. I know a lot of people don't have time. A lot of people caught up in working and, you know, trying to make ends meet, you know what I'm saying? And they can't, you know, it's just they can't do it right now. But it would be a great long, I mean, a goal, something that, you know, you could think about doing next year. Maybe set yourself up for that or, you know, whatever in a couple of years. You know, get your own business so you can have a little bit more control of your time. And it'll be, you know, it'll be highly beneficial for your, for also for your kids because you'll be teaching them right information and all of these things that they end up teaching in school. You know, like they said, they talk about religion in school, but they don't really teach you that religion has a big, plays a big part in your life um, as far as, you know, where the government is concerned. So, like I said, I would encourage everybody to go back and, you know, do the research on their state's religious exemption policy. Well, I don't know if Akeem has a template. I'm pretty sure he has something, but I'm thinking about trying to make me one. I'm, I'm going to make me an a exemption template. And it could be for anything, like, you know, stuff like that, as far as when, they, when they're going against your religious freedoms. It don't really got to be for um, immunization or anything. But like they said, if it's something they don't believe in, they don't have to participate in. I mean, that's anything in school, I'd say. So... Like I said, I was encouraged everybody to go back and read that. But um, yeah, this is the Bun Bay Show, and um, I got a uh, the um tomorrow, Akeem L Truth Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, I think it's in the morning around ten ten a.m. We have the Solomon's Temple Show, and on Thursday we have the Divine Connection Show with Jessica and Tasia, and on Friday we have Akeem Junior Show. And on Sunday, we have Raising Independent Thinkers. It's best. 
would encourage everybody to listen to all these shows. They're great shows, and they all, you know, make you think. Make you think about something different than what you've been doing. You know what I'm saying? Because the only way you're going to get some a, a different, a change in your life is change your mind. And the only way you're going to change your mind is, you know, get out of the same thing you've been doing. Listen to something different. You know, read something different. You know? Take a day off from the same people. I mean, if you can, you know, maybe you might work with them. But, you know, just try to change one any little thing you can at a time. It make all the difference in the world. You wouldn't believe it. I mean, because, I mean, if you think about it, like, if you work with somebody for 15 years and they smoke, and after 15 years, y'all been going to the to the water cooler together, every day y'all get a little 15-minute break, y'all go to the water cooler t- together for 15 years, and after 15 years, Bert, your buddy Bert, he decides, man, I quit. I'm quitting smoking. Just that one day. So by Bert not being out there, it might push you to quit or try to quit. And in the meantime, while Bert's not smoking that 15 minutes, he's not smoking, he might be on his computer studying Spanish or something. So, you know, think about it. After Bert quits, a year later, after Bert quits, if he stay on his Spanish thing, like he was on smoking cigarettes every day, he'll learn Spanish. And maybe he might get a promotion on his job or something from now he can speak. He bilingual. He can speak a different language. So it just that little, that little thing made a difference not in Bert life, but in yours too. And maybe somebody else who was watching. You know what I'm saying? Because one thing about it, we never know who's watching. And it ain't really about telling nobody what you do. It's about just doing it. I mean, because it's like you don't want nobody coming to you preaching to you about something. That's why they say don't force this information on nobody. If they're ready, they'll get it because they'll see how you move and they'll want to change that way. I mean, you know, it's like, it's it's like everybody kind of hates when somebody try to tell them something. Like, but if you see something you like, and especially in a person you've been around, and you see a change in them, I mean, if you know them from seeing them every day, then you'll know when they change, when something changes in their life. I mean, and if it's something positive, then you can't be nothing but proud of them. You know what I'm saying? Or and like I said, it might influence you to do it. Well, if he did it, I could do it too. You know, make give you that that little push you need. You know, it's sometimes we don't got to get a push from nobody standing behind us pushing us. We get a push just seeing other people that we know in our kind of in our same, you know, we in our same bracket. We are safe for ourselves. Make a big change in their life, something that we didn't think we could do, and really didn't really think they could do, but they did it. You know, that's inspiration. That's where inspiration comes from. You know what I'm saying? But it it also comes by, you know, good people around you, pushing you ahead, you know what I'm saying, giving you um, giving you hope, you know what I'm saying, positive energy and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, too, you always, I mean, I heard him say, you can't learn from, a smart man don't learn from his own mistakes. He learns from somebody else. So if you, you know, paying attention or whatever, you know, you'll learn something from somebody else that, so you won't have to go through the same thing they went through to learn. And with that, I'm going to call it a night. I hope everybody have a good night. Everybody had a good week. And like I said, tune in to Akeem L Show tomorrow, um, 7 at 7 p.m. And I'm going to leave y'all with a little Reverend Ike. Peace.
law of forgiveness is the title of the lesson. The law of forgiveness. From the lips of the Master Jesus, from St. Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning at the twelfth verse. I'm going to read it to you and have you repeat it after me for emphasis as I shall pause. This is a part of what is called the Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught the disciples, Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now we have a definition of forgiveness from Reverend Ike, and I'm going to have you also repeat it after me as I shall read it. Forgiveness is rooting up. Forgiveness is rooting up. And letting go. And letting go. Of all hatred. Ladies and gentlemen, forgiveness has a greater importance than the average person ever realizes. Many times people think that forgiveness is something that you do for other people or to other people. But the first thing that I want to call your attention to is that forgiveness is what you do for yourself and yes, to yourself. Forgiveness is for your own sake. So repeat after me. Forgiveness is for my own sake. You know, holding something against somebody else is just like two guys wrestling. In order to hold somebody else down, you have to stay down yourself. And in order to get a loose and rise, you have to turn the other person loose. Is that right? And so, to tell you the truth, forgiveness may also be symbolized in this way. Forgiveness is to stop wrestling with your hatreds and hurtreds. To stop holding something against somebody else. Because at the same time that you're holding something against somebody else, you are holding that same thing against yourself. Now here's a statement again from Reverend Ike, and it's so important we're going to read it together. You see, I'm dealing with forgiveness from a different perspective altogether. You're not just simply doing the other person a favor by forgiving him or her. The first person that you do a favor to by forgiving is who? Yourself. Now here's what Reverend Ike says, and repeat it as I shall read it, when I pause, you thunder it back at me and let it cleanse you of hatred and hatred, even as we shall read it. Everything which you do not forgive yourself or another for, will be repeated in your experience.
going to make this personal and in the first person. Everything which I do not forgive another for. Will be repeated in my experience. Will be Forgive. Now let me tell you a secret at the start of this lesson. Are you ready now? Whenever you find that you are continually drawing people into your life that hurt you in some way, it is very possibly because you are carrying either hatred or hatred. And you are not forgiving. Now, I use the word hurtred. I've never heard it before until Reverend Ike used it. I heard a minister on television give me credit for that. But this television minister said, Reverend Ike has coined the word hurtred. And I said, God bless you. <laughs> I know there are a lot of you good religious people here who would not dare have any hatred. You don't have any hatred in your heart. And some of you would be hateful, but you're scared of going to hell. And so you just forgive because you don't want to go to hell when you die. Well, I've got news for you. Hatred and hatred are hell already. Right here, right now. Because one definition for hell is that hell is a soul on fire with its own misery. And there is nothing more miserable than a heart full of hatred or hatred. Now listen, you're going to have to confess today, even if you don't have any hatred, but to go around feeling hurt is hell, isn't it? Is that right? Now if you go through life continually getting hurt by people, collecting hurt, your soul will be on fire with its own misery. I keep telling folks, you don't have to physically die to go to either hell or heaven. I had breakfast in a heavenly place this morning. Coffee was $6 a cup. And I said, thank God for money. But I understood why the coffee was $6 a cup. And because there were antique chandeliers hanging everywhere. Abasson carpets under my feet. Marble walls. And all of that luxurious ambiance. So I understood it was not just a cup of coffee. I said, this is heavenly. And I wasn't dead either. But a soul on fire with its own misery, with hatred and hatred, is already experiencing hell. So not only do you forgive people that did you wrong so that you don't have hatred, you have to also get rid of your hatred. Hatred is just as bad as hatred. Now again, if for some reason you get hurt, the first thing you have to do is not forgive the person. The first thing you do is forgive yourself. Uh-oh. What do you forgive yourself for? Forgive yourself for getting yourself into the position of what? Getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, you see, this is one of the major differences in this teaching. In this teaching, you are absolutely positively responsible for everything that happens to you. That's why a lot of people don't want this. Because we don't give you a devil for a scapegoat. You can't say around here the devil made me do it. Around here you're your own devil. You're your own God. And no one can choose the path that you may try 
and none can save you from error of sin unless you will listen to the spirit within. But you see, these thousands of years of religious conditioning have conditioned people to have so many convenient scapegoats. And I'm going to say it again, and I remind myself of this every time. Whenever you get hurt or offended in any way, it's because you either consciously or unconsciously put yourself in position to get hurt or offended. So when you get hurt or offended, maybe you won't pray a religious prayer. Maybe you'll pray a prayer like I pray. Lord, forgive me for getting myself in position for that SOB to hurt me. Let me clean it up a little bit so that all of you who don't have as much good religion as I've got can pray it. It takes a lot of religion to pray the kind of prayers I pray. You see, God doesn't get offended in me. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Let me hear every one of you say, God, I forgive myself for getting in position to be hurt or offended. And you know a great secret I found out? Once I forgave myself, I didn't even have to forgive the other person. Because once I forgave myself, it was wiped out. Uh -huh. Reverend Ike, you mean to tell me that I'm the cause of that person offending me? I'm the cause of this person hurting me? I'm the cause of the person doing this, that, or the other to me? Yes, you are. You know where I'm at now? I'm right at the point now when Jesus began to teach and to tell the people the bold faith truth. They started leaving one by one. But this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And only the twelve disciples stuck around and he said to them, Will you go away too? He said, No, Lord, lay it on us. Suck it to us. Where can we go? You have the word. Of eternal life. So one of the things around here, you learn not only that you are responsible for what happens to you, but you can also control what happens to you. And let me tell you this. Until you forgive, give up, root up, and let go of all hatred and hatred, you are going to continue to draw one series of hatred and hatred after another. I told you that the subconscious mind works in patterns. And to forgive is the rooting up and the letting go of all hatred and hate. You've got a big job when you get home this week. You've got a lot of root work to do. And I'm going to tell you something else. Once you discover that it's really yourself that you've got to forgive, it's really easier then to forgive because then you don't have to deal with that SOB.